it's the beginning of a new year. And it's the time of year when we often look back on the year that's gone and forward into the new one. Some of us like to make goals in a year that seems to be a year of alternative truths, if you've been listening to the news. So I thought it'd be good to um, have a read of one of the, get some wisdom from one of the classics. Anyone know this story? Oh, the places you'll go. You'll be on your way up. You'll be seeing great sights. You'll join the high flyers who soar to great heights. Anyone know the author? Or is it up there? Oh, you got it. You won't lag behind because you'll have the speed. You'll pass the whole gang and you'll soon have the lead. Wherever you fly, you'll be the best of the best. Wherever you go, you'll topple the rest. Except when you don't, because sometimes you won't. I'm sorry to say so, but sadly it's true. The bang-ups, the hang-ups can happen to you. You can get all hung up on a prickly perch. Your gang will fly on and you'll be left in the lurch. You'll come down from the lurch with an unpleasant bump. And the chances are then that you'll be in a slump. And when you're in a slump, you're not in for much fun, for unslumping yourself is not easily done. You will come to a place where the streets are not marked. Some windows are lighted, but mostly they're dark. A place where you could sprain both elbow and chin. Do you dare to stay out or do you dare to go in? And how much can you lose and how much can you win? And if you go in, should you turn left or right? Or maybe three and three quarters or maybe not quite? Or go round back and sneak in from behind? Simple it's not, I'm afraid you'll find. For a mind maker-upper to make up its mind. You can get so confused that you'll start into race, long, down long wiggled ra- uh, roads at breaknecking pace, and grind on for miles across weirdish wild space. Any ba- anyone been in weirdish wild space before? Headed, I fear, for the most useless place, the waiting place. For people just waiting, waiting for a train to go or a bus to come or a plane to go or the mail to come, or the rain to go, or the phone to ring, or the snow to snow, or waiting around for a yes or a no, or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting. No, that's not for you. Somehow you'll escape. All that waiting and staying, you'll find the great places where the boom bands are playing. With banner flip flapping, once more you'll ride high, ready for anything under the sky, ready because you're that kind of guy. Oh, the places you'll go. There's fun to be done, there are points to be scored, there are games to be won, and magical things you can do with that ball and make you the winningest winner of all. Fame, you'll be as famous as famous can be with the whole wide world watching you on TV. Except when you don't, because sometimes you won't. I'm afraid to say that sometimes you'll play the lonely games too, games you can't win because you play against you. Oh, the places you'll go. I was at the 24-7 prayer uh, week back in November. A number of us would have been there. For those that aren't familiar, back in November, we did a week long of prayer where we could roster on um, throughout the 24-hour clock to go into our space in the hub in Silverdale and spend some time with God. And the whole meaning of it was for us to learn and to get closer to God and learn how to communicate and engage with him. And um, there was the people in the church who set it up did this amazing job of creating really interactive and creative places. 
I'm a bit of a meat and potatoes kind of girl, you know. I'm used to sitting down with the Bible and, you know, praying. But they created some spaces where you can really try different ways of engaging with God. And uh, one of them was this place called Divine Seeing. Sounds a bit freaky. It did to me sound a bit freaky. But it was a number of pictures, if I can have the picture up, please, that really spoke to me. And you can't see it very well, maybe, but it's a road going up and down into the distance. And um, I was captured by that picture and started a kōrero with Jesus about it, a discussion, because it spoke to me a lot about the places you'll go. And I just want to share some of those thoughts I got that day. The first thing I learned about that picture is that there are peaks and troughs. Just like that road has lows and highs, in life we have our highs and our lows. And when I first became a Christian many years back when I was 16, I know that's hard to believe, but yes, it was a few years back now, and um, it was like a real high experience for me. Not that I'd come from a really disgusting background and now I was, you know, amazingly good. It was just that my inner darkness had gone and I really knew that Jesus had done that. And I was on this high and I interpreted that to mean that life was going to be like that forever now. I thought I had a 365 free pass day a year to Disneyland or something. You know, it's going to be great. I fed myself on a number of scriptures. You know, the ones the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. Uh, I thought that sounded really good. I like that. It's like candy floss to me. Yeah, rushing the sugar. And then there was another one that really spoke to me in the book of John, which is in the New Testament. And it said, God will give you life in all its abundance. And I interpreted that to mean that everything was going to be sweet. But as I went on in my life, I realized that I don't stay on top of the hill forever. And I also read in the Bible, there's a whole lot of themes about faith being running a race. And I do a little bit of running. I know it might be a bit surprising. I'm no elite athlete. But I do a little bit of running, and I try and keep myself fit because I want to, you know, get past 70, hopefully. And um, one thing I've realized, when I'm driving home from work at, you know, quarter to five at night, I have this mental dilemma. Do I go home and sit on the couch and have a cup of tea, or do I go stop off and go for a run? You know, which one is more tempting? But if I get there to the race, then I have this other mental, not race, run, I don't race. Um, if I actually get there and go for a run, I have to then have another decision. Do I take the short route, flat, or do I do the hills or extend it out? And I have found that if I take the uncomfortable route of going up the hill or I take the longer route, I actually get fitter. And I actually learn this thing called endurance. And I learn this thing called perseverance. And you learn this thing called resilience. And they don't come by sitting on the hilltop. They come by having to run the race and going the distance. And I have learned that Jesus really does want to give you a full life. And he really does want to give you the desires of your heart. But the context of that is that life will have its many ups and will have its many downs, and Jesus is so solidly invested in you being able to go the distance that he will help you through the downs as well as the ups. There is an amazing guy in the Bible called Jeremiah, and if you're not too familiar with the Bible, he's kind of just past the middle in the Old Testament, and he was a prophet, 
And prophet is someone who's really, someone who's got the courage enough to actually speak what God's really saying. And sometimes you have to say that to people who don't want to hear. And Jeremiah was one of these guys. You see, Jeremiah was a prophet that was called from a very young age into a job he wasn't really that keen to do. He knew that the people wouldn't listen to him and he was bang on. They really didn't. And God told him that he was to be a prophet. And his career lasted around 40 years. 40 years of having to say things that people didn't want to hear. 40 years of speaking the truth when the tide was going against him. 40 years of having to slog up a hill when he had not many people around. He had some very good friends, but he had the, uh, all, his, all his peers, all the leaders really just didn't want to hear him, and they punished him for it in severe ways. And Jesus spoke, to, well, God spoke to him in a very interesting way um, at the beginning, uh, towards the beginning of his book, because he wrote a book, Jeremiah, And it's, um, so Jeremiah, if you're worn out in the foot race with men, what makes you think you can run against horses? You see, God needed Jeremiah to go the distance. And if he was going to give up when things got tough, he was never going to fulfill the abundant life that God had for him. And yes, it embraced difficulties and hardships, but he was a guy that did amazing things. And he lasted a long time. And God was saying to him in the scripture, look, you've got a race to run, but I'm going to have to equip you for it. So don't be surprised in life when you find yourself going uphill. It doesn't last forever, but there are times when God really needs to train us for these things like durability and endurance. The second thing that God spoke to me or I understood when I was looking at that picture is that sometimes in life you'll have times of clarity and sometimes of obscurity. Dr. Sue said, you will come to a place where the streets are not marked. Some windows are lighted, but mostly they're darked. You know, and when I looked at that road, not that it's too clear for you, but, you know, there's a country and there's a clear road and there's, you know, lines going up it, and you know where to go. You know where the left lane is and you know where the right lane is. There are some roads in New Zealand that aren't so clear like that. And I remember that um, there are some times when God can lead you very clearly and his voice will be crystal clear. And then other times they're really kind of obscure, like one of those country dirty roads that you find yourself on where you wonder if anyone's gone that way before. And I remember one time when I was a young adult, not that long ago, of course, and, um, and I... I, my life was going really well. I was actually really comfortable. I was living in the Wairapa, big smoke as it was, a small town called Masterton, and I had some good friends. I'd just done some major unslumping in my life, to quote Dr. Seuss, and um, God, you know, had done some great things, and I had good friends, good church, good job. I was really comfortable, and there was this guy, Patrick, and he was a little bit sweet, and he was a bit sweet on me, and we were wondering whether it was time, you know, to step it up a bit. But inside I had this niggling feeling that maybe God wanted me to do something else. And I'd stumbled across this course in Tauranga. Never heard of Tauranga living in the back blocks of the Wairapa. So I didn't even know where it was. And there was this course on church planting. And I thought, oh, God. I actually got this horrible feeling that this is it. So I, say, I, I prayed this prayer to God, thinking because it was impossible, because I didn't know where Tauranga was. How could he know, you know? So it was like, God, if you want me to go to Tauranga, you're going to have to make it really, really clear, you know? Like, I know no one. I've got no job. I'm going to have to give up my job. And I said, you know, 
arrogantly and thinking that this is too impossible for God. And I said, you can't do it. And um, I went to church. And I think it was like one day or two days later. I got chatting to this couple. And guess where they were from? And they had been living in the Wairapa for a year, doing some work there. And, they, and I just happened to talk to them as you do and say, where are you? What are you doing this year? Because it was like this time of year, January. And they said, oh, we're going back to Tauranga. And I thought, oh, here we go. And um, yeah, we're going back to Tauranga and we've got this house and all our family have left. And so I had to do the right thing and tell them about this course I thought God wanted me to do. By the end of the conversation, I had a place to stay and a lift to go. And it was at the right time. And they even knew people on the course to help me facilitate all the logistics of doing the course. It was so clear I could not actually get my head around it. And I had to say goodbye to the comfortability and my nice little life I'd set up for myself and go into the unknown. And sometimes we do go into places that are obscure. Fast forward eight years and I'm leaving Tauranga and I'm now thinking it's time to go to Auckland. I did not want to go to Auckland. Who in their right mind leaves leaves the Bay of Plenty to go to Auckland? But we just had this niggling feeling. Watch the niggling feelings. And this niggling feeling, it was time to go to Auckland. But there were no doors that swung open for me. You know, unlike going to Tauranga where they all went, wham, here we go, this is where you're supposed to go. It was like hard work. And people said we were crazy and we'd come up every weekend looking for a place to stay. And I was living in Tauranga and I was on a country orchard paying $130 a week to live in the country in Bethlehem. Like, who does that? And, you know, Auckland, Highland Park, we finally found this brick and tile three-bedroom home with about 10 neighbours around. That's exaggeration. You know, it felt like 10 neighbours around us. And it was hard work. We could not find, it hard to find a place the, relation, the marriage I was in at the time, the, it was a building business we had. We couldn't get work, and it was just really hard. And it was, I remember going up the motorway, and the motorway getting up towards where the Botanic Gardens are, and I looked out, and I looked at Auckland ahead, and I thought, what have I done? Oh, God, what are you doing? And it was so unclear. He didn't, you know, I didn't have the luxury of major doors and major confirmation. It was an obscure road. And it actually took maybe eight months, nine months, maybe by the end of the year that I actually had it confirmed that, yes, we were in the right place. There are, and I have found that as I have continued down my road, that God tends to do more obscure and less clear. Now, I... I'd say there'd be a few people who would agree with me on that, but God does do the obscure, the things when it's not clear. And why? Because one of the major things in our life of faith is that God wants us to trust him. And trust doesn't come easy. You think about in any relationship you've got. If someone says to you, I love you, you are my friend, you are my wife, you are my husband, you are my partner, whatever, but there's no trust, you would have every reason to doubt the depth of that relationship. And I think as we can, you know, we can, I can raise my hands to God in worship this morning, and then when he asks me to do something, I say, no, where's my 10-year plan? Is that trust? It's just not trust. And sometimes our worship has to have skin on it. It means we actually have to step one foot in front of the other and show God that we're just trusting him. There's this amazing quote that I came across by a guy called Brennan Manning. It's from reading your book, Fiona, that I came across this from Pete Gregg. He quotes it. 
And it's from a guy who had a very difficult life. He says, the way of trust is a movement into obscurity, into the undefined, into ambiguity, not into some predetermined, clearly delineated plan for the future. The next step discloses itself only out of discernment of God acting in the present moment. The reality of naked trust is the life of a pilgrim who leaves what is nailed down, obvious and secure, and walks into the unknown without any rational explanation to justify the decision or guarantee the future. Why? Because God has signaled the movement and offered his promise and presence. Now, Brennan Manning was a guy who was in the priesthood, and he left the priesthood to get married, probably not something the church would have agreed with at the time, and he got married, and then his marriage fell over. And then he had a lifelong battle with alcoholism. So his life had its ups and downs, but I think he nailed it with trust. And God wants us to learn how to put skin on our faith and trust him when things aren't clear, when things are hard, when he's asking you to do things that are impossible, when he's asking you to do things that are uncomfortable. We sometimes just have to put one step in front of the other. And maybe all you hear him say to you is, follow me. Maybe that's all you hear is, follow me. And you see, I have also learned in life, as probably most of you have, there are actually no guarantees. Guarantees are a myth. You just need to talk to people who've had accidents that have changed their lives upside down or illnesses or Christchurch earthquakes or have had marriage breakups or whatever. There is nothing that is secure in this world except for God's promise to always be with you and his presence. The last thing I learnt as looking through this is that often we find our place in times of the wilderness. Now, the wilderness can look like a lot of what Dr. Sue said, waiting for a train to go or a bus to come, you know, a phone to ring or the snow to snow. It can be places of waiting. It can be places where you're absolutely in a place of limbo. If you look up the word limbo in, uh, as a synonym, it means hell. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the synonyms for, for limbo. Places of impossibility, places where th- God actually just does not make sense, or places where you're waiting for your breakthrough and it's just not happening. And um, there are some curious biblical analogies to the wilderness. Actually, there's quite a few of them. And one of the ones I want to mention today is one of the major narratives in the whole Bible, and it's found in the second book, and it's the book of Exodus. And it's this amazing story of God's people, God's people known as the Hebrews or the Israelites. And they had spent 430 years living in Egypt. It started off well, but it soon declined into a life of slavery, a life of drudgery. You'd call that a wilderness. And... um, God did a preposterous thing. He raised up a leader by the name of Moses. And Moses did the impossible. He said, because God told him, he said, "Um, God's going to take you out of Egypt, which was, you know, like the major economy of the world at the time, the major power. And you're going to come out of that slavery and I'm going to lead you into the promised land, a place flowing with milk and honey. Everyone could have said, liar, liar. What, What a load of junk that is. How could you, you know, just, it was ridiculous. But God, through a number of amazing acts of power, he does just that. He, and, and it's an amazing story, if you read it in Exodus, is that 
the pharaoh or the leader of Egypt finally relents and lets the people go. And if you thought that was a wilderness, and God does this amazing thing, and he does do amazing, they actually take all the wealth with them from Egypt. So that's how miraculous it is. And they're being led out of Egypt, you'd think, wow, we've made it. Yes, God's done his thing. It's awesome. But listen to this quote. When he is leading them out of Egypt in the book of Exodus, it says, God did not lead them out of Egypt on the Philistine country, even though it was the shortest route. He led them along the desert or the wilderness to the Red Sea. Now I look at that picture, and we don't actually know where it's going, but we want to get there as fast as possible. I do. And uh, you look at that picture, and if you had, you know, if that was Switzerland, any good engineer would have just leveled all those peaks and troughs, wouldn't they? And they'd say, stuff that, I'm not going to take half an hour, I'm going to level out, put an auto barn or tunnels in there and we're going to get to our destination and we're going to do it 120 kilometres an hour and we're going to do it in 20 minutes. Because we love the shortest route. I know I like the shortest route. I want to get there as soon as possible. But you see, God often leads you the long way round. So don't be surprised when that happens. And it's not always that easy. And why do you think he does that? I think some reasons he does that is because in the wilderness is where we come face to face with the things in our character that God needs to deal with. And God is more invested in character development than he is in you reaching your destination. Because actually his destination is your character development. He's wanting to make Christ form in us. And if, he, if you want to go the distance on the places you're going to go, he's going to have to do the work in the wilderness. And it ain't pleasant. And, um, the, but it's good. There's a, there's a scripture that says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race set out for us. And the wilderness affords us that opportunity. Because when I've been in a wilderness, I've often find what rises to the surface is things like, God, this wasn't meant to happen. What are you doing? Have you lost the plot? Right, I'm going to take control. I'm going to sort this out. Often in our wilderness places, we find ourselves wanting to take self-reliance and run with it, where God is wanting us to learn how to depend on him 100% without the delineated plan, the, the, the lack of clarity. And the problem is, if you try and shortcut the wilderness, you'll probably find you might wander around in it for a while until you actually yield to it. So my, what I have learnt is that you just have to face reality and who you are when you're in that place and be honest with God and let him do his work. I'll finish with this story. There's a lady called Rowie, uh, Rosie Ruiz. Anyone know the name? Rosie Ruiz in 1980 won the Boston Marathon. The problem with Rosie Ruiz is not many people had heard of her before. And she uh, just stunned the world. She was an unknown. All the favourites in the race didn't even come near Rosie Ruiz. She was amazing. She did it in a great time, one of the best times ever done. Not the best, but one of the best. And um, she, got to the, she got to the end and everyone was amazed. Who is this outsider? And she took, the, she took the award and it was all really, really good. 
except not too long later, people started questioning Rosie Ruiz because Rosie Ruiz found out that no one had actually seen her on the race. And um, a bit like me, when they had a look at her, she didn't actually look what a marathon elite runner should look like, but a cellulite in those thighs and, you know, didn't quite, have the, didn't quite fit the picture. And it turned out that Rosie Ruiz got off the subway two stops before the finish line run the race and took the prize. And guess what happened to Rosie Ruiz? She got disqualified. Jesus has a place for you to go, and he is desperate to qualify you for your race. But it means you have to hang in there for, through the good and the hard times. And, um, you know, there's no Rosie, Ru- Rosie Ruiz's in God's economy. He wants you to do the race and run the race well, and he'll give you his promise and presence to do it. So to turn back to our wonderful writer, how does this all end, we wonder. And on and on you will hike, and I know you'll hike far, and face up to your problems, whatever they are. You'll get mixed up, of course, as you already know. You'll get mixed up with many strange birds as you go. It's Dr. Seuss, isn't it? So be sure when you step, step with great care and great tact, and remember that life's a great balancing act. Just never forget to be dexterous and deft, and never mix up your right foot with your left. And will you succeed? Yes, you will indeed, 98 and three quarter percent guaranteed. So be your name Bucksbaum or Bixby or Bray or Mordecai Alley Van Allen O'Shea, you're off to great places. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting. Get on your way. So um, the places you'll go, and I understand that we could all be in time, seasons of great times at the moment or difficult seasons. The great news about the wilderness is that it doesn't last forever. The great news about the road is that you do get to the top. The other great news is that clarity does come. So we're going to do a song now, and um, if you are finding that the places where you're at at the moment is particularly difficult and you'd like someone to stand with you, just in prayer, you're welcome to come up in the song, and if I can have some people to come and pray, if you just need someone to stand with you, If there's things you need to deal with, if you're in a wilderness and God is wanting you to throw some things off that are hindering you to go the places that you need to go, maybe you just want to sit and um, have a think through that with God and uh, have a chat to him about that. But you're welcome to come forward and pray and receive some prayer as well. Thank you.